You're listening to Carissa, the UFCVM communications intern and pre-vet student. You'll have to create a public image in every setting you enter, be it an exam room, meeting, or an outreach event. Stay and hear advice from Rachel Kepsul in demonstrating a professional demeanor. Welcome to the Pre-Vet Podcast. I'm Alex Avellino, your tour guide on the journey to becoming a veterinarian. Listen along as we provide you with tips, tricks, and tales on applying to veterinary school. Okay. Welcome back to the Pre-Vet Podcast. I'm Alex Avellino, and we are continuing on our Letters of Recommendation VEMCAST People Skills Journey with veterinarians and non-veterinary professionals. This is an even-numbered episode, which means we are speaking to a non-vet. And today we have my good pal, Rachel Kepsel. Rachel, welcome to the show. Thanks, Alex. I'm excited to be here. Will you please tell the audience your title at the vet school and a little bit about your professional journey because say we are talking about professional demeanor so will you give them your like last 10 year resume lines so the titles so we can hear your progression absolutely so my current title is assistant director for cvm careers i do all things career related so a lot of professionalism in my current role with our dvm students and our residents interns and offshore students as well Previously in my career, I have worked in D.C. for five years. I worked on the Fulbright program. I did some international exchanges. And then before that, I worked at a university setting in study abroad and international student advising. So I've been in various different settings of professionalism and what that looks like, which all kind of depends on the place that you're working or in maybe the case of undergraduate students, volunteering, interning, you know, shadowing, gaining experience. And it allows me to provide what professionalism looks like in different contexts. Yeah, perfect, perfect segue, because what we were talking about in the car ride over here is how, depending on what area of vet med you fall into, or even what practice that you're at, professionalism can be defined in so many different ways. Rachel, just off the cuff, do you feel like that makes it almost tricky for students to understand professionalism? Because it has, it can be so gray and have so many definitions. A hundred percent. I also think, especially for people who are, you know, starting off and maybe volunteering or shadowing or haven't worked in very many settings or really at all, it might be hard to gauge what professionalism looks like and what the expectations are. A lot of times, you know, maybe there might be an employee handbook, but some rules are followed and some rules are not. And so professionalism can look very different depending on each setting. And even for each individual, professionalism can look a lot different. Um, And so, you know, especially looking at students, a lot of times they're going to be in scrubs. You know, if they showed up to a job in D.C. that is more conservative in the way that they approach professionalism, showing up to scrubs would probably get you sent home. A hundred percent. And so I think maybe a key point, always ask. It can't hurt to ask before a job interview or an opportunity, what should I wear? Um, You know, what's the culture like? What are the expectations? So you don't fall into kind of like an embarrassing moment. Let's break down maybe some of the typically understood areas of professionalism and talk vet med. So things like dress, written and oral communication. What other things fall under, like, should we say like monitoring time and, and like the maybe flexibility of that practice? So let's start with dress because that's pretty easy to understand. What, do you, what have you experienced? Because you know a lot of corporations, you know a lot of private practices, you've heard from an, a lot of students who have visited different practices. When we're talking about professional dress and vet med, what could it look like? 
It could be so different. You know, a large animal vet that's providing ambulatory services is going to be a lot more casual in their dress and maybe in the way that they interact with their clients because they are, are going, you know, typically to farms or to people's properties to evaluate animals. When I look at, you know, GP and we're doing small animal, I would say it's pretty typical to see everybody in scrubs. And then even, you know, I attended VMAX on MLK weekend and it's so interesting to see everybody working in the, you know, vet med industry come together for a professional conference because they were such a wide range yeah, of outfits. And I don't think that they are, you know, if I look at somebody and they're a little bit more casual, that is maybe what professionalism means to them and that's yeah. how it is at their hospital. And I would say for you know, for our students, I believe they're supposed to be either, you know, in professional clothing or scrubs. Like totally. they're not supposed to be wearing leggings and shorts, no. do they? Yes. yes. Definitely but, not pajamas. That's one thing we've cracked down on because in undergrad, I mean, it's never professional to wear pajamas, but in undergrad, you'll see students wearing pajamas and it's kind of like, okay, fine. But yeah. in professional school, no. Yeah. Unless it's pajama day for Spearly. That's right. Yeah. That's the only time it's fine. Sanctioned pajamas. I think what I'm hearing you say, though, is it depends on two things. I think it depends on who's running the organization and who are the clients, because your clients expect to see the veterinarian in a certain form of dress, depending on what they're doing. Let's talk about hair, tattoos, piercings, makeup, those kinds of self-expressive qualities. I know a lot of students, before they go into an interview, they ask me, do I need to cover up my tattoos? Do I need to take out my nose ring? What are your thoughts on self-expression? I think it also depends on the interview setting. And I think it's really important to do your homework and research before any interview. If you can do research on them and they seem like a place that is, you know, maybe leans more towards being this traditional image of what we think of professional when we watch shows like Mad Men or, you know, things in the past where everybody is wearing suits. Not that Mad Men is professional because they're definitely not in the way that they act, but they were always very well dressed. Oh, boy. They, you know, women in dresses, They did look lasers, very dapper, tights. but you're right. Inappropriate behavior. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. we don't drink at work anymore or you know, do a lot of the things that that show does. Maybe that was a terrible example. That's but true. I mean, like, image-wise in that show everybody is like dressed to the nines mm -hmm. like I would hate to have to be that buttoned up all day long right um you know the first thing I do when I get home is change out of my work clothes and it's something that's more comfortable when it comes to this self-expression you should really be doing research on the culture of the place that you're interviewing what to expect I love glassdoor.com I love just a google search to see what is going on in the news about them I like to do a search on LinkedIn if there's somebody on LinkedIn that maybe has worked there that is a gator or you have some form of connection with, it's not inappropriate to ask them what their experience like was at what their experience is like at that organization and what might be expected when it comes to forms of self-expression. And so in our context for the vet med bubble that we live in, Alex and I, those things are appropriate as long as you're following the professionalism expectations other places. So are people on time? Are they respectful? Are they a team player? Are they able to communicate when they're going to be late? What do their communication look like? So professional communication, a little bit different than regular communication. And maybe I'm straying a bit away from dress and we were going to circle back to this, but right. it all kind of goes hand in hand. If you're being professional in the other ways that they're expecting you to be professional, and then you have these elements of self-expression, your professionalism should not be linked to the way that you look, but really how you operate in these professional settings and if people can rely on you. Yeah. I And I usually, I agree with what Rachel's saying. It, it comes down to communication. It comes down to doing your research. If you're going to go into an interview and you're worried about something, I usually just tell students, if it's not distracting, I think it's fine. 
if you're worried that it is affecting your interview in any way, then I would make adjustments for that interview. So for example, if a student tells me, hey, I have purple hair, is that fine for my interview? I think as long as it's not distracting, at least for UF interviews, I think in general it's fine. However, if you're going to think about it and stew over it and lose sleep over it, then maybe you do want to change it for that interview so it isn't distracting and they can really just hear who you are instead of just seeing who you are. And if we're thinking about things like equity and access and you're worried about, well, you know, I really can't afford professional attire, many, many, many institutions have career closets for you. You can thrift something super cute and you can borrow something. Yeah, 100%. So I think that that is not an excuse to not look professional you can find a way to have an outfit that still makes you look great. Let's talk written and oral communication and professionalism. Immediately what comes to mind is maybe do's and don'ts. Because for me, like, I think an immediate don't, cussing when you first meet someone and like in text, that's probably a don't. Like we don't need profanity in the beginning of a professional relationship. Does that feel right? I would agree. I would say that in my experiences, at least working at UF Med, there is a lot of cursing. Yeah. Um, when you get to know someone. When you get to know people, uh, which kind of makes it feel like a little bit more relaxed sometimes. Like, wow, I'm hanging out with all these board certified specialists and somebody just dropped the F-bomb. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad it wasn't me, but yeah. like, let's just break that ice. Right. And so I would say, you know, don't start off the bat with that. You know, you have to learn what the culture is. For me, when it comes down to professional communications, it depends on, you know, we're talking about specifically in vet med, but if we looked at vet med in Italy or Ecuador or, I don't know, Sweden, that might look very different because of the different cultural norms in that country. Ah, yes. The cultural norms. We're, I mean, that's kind of what we're talking about. This whole this whole podcast, really, Rachel, is like vet med cultural norms, but also in the United States, if you're practicing in the United States. And even like we've talked about how Florida, Florida is different than the right. rest of the states. And Florida is not only different, we're technologically Technolog no, sorry. Technically in the South. But we're not Southern. But we're not Southern. Yep. And professionalism in like Georgia, Mississippi, totally Alabama, different. as somebody who has worked in a university in Georgia is totally different than professionalism in the Midwest or the, you know, in the Midwest or even out in the West. Mm -hmm. So even within our own country, there's going to be different communication norms depending on the region. Absolutely. When it comes to professional communication and cross-cultural communication, it's really important to do some observing of mm. what it looks like mm -hmm. for professionalism and cross-cultural communication norms. And then for me, if I'm talking about the context of my experience in vet med, I have two students that work for me, two vet students that work for me, um, a couple hours a week can help support everything that Careers does because it's just too much for one person. And it's an opportunity for them to kind of grow as professionals and dabble in the world of professional development and supporting students. Professionalism to me, a, an email if I get from a student that is, you know, no intro, no conclusion. You know, if it's kind of like a text message, that to me is not professional. I can't stand it, Rachel. So when the students that work with me, I don't really care what they're wearing. I don't, I'm super flexible with their schedules as long as they are putting it on our calendars. And if they need to move it, I'm flexible because I know they're going to be there on time, which to me, that's, that is professionalism. If they're not going to be there, they let me know. They're respectful in the way that they email. They have a hello and a signature at the end. Mm -hmm. They can text me because they know that that, for me, is still professional. In other settings, maybe that would not be professional for me to text my boss and tell them, hey, I'm running late. And are they texting? I'm, I'm assuming, Rachel, they're not texting you at off, like crazy hours. Like to me, yeah. you have to be the part of the professionalism with communication is also respecting of time. If I get an email from a pre-vet student at 2 a.m., I'm not checking my email at 2 a.m., but when I see it, I'm like, 
ooh, like this doesn't seem professional. It seems like you are so anxious right now that you need to email me at 2 a.m. Wait a little bit later or delay delivery it. And if I'm getting a text message from someone at 10 p.m., unless it's an emergency, that to me is like a disrespect of time and boundaries. Agreed. Yeah, that would definitely feel to me like a, you know, invasion of my personal time that I try to have, you know, a separation from my work life and my personal life so that I can have time to take care of myself. And when it comes to, you know, hours of the day, I don't even try to text my students that work for me outside of, you know, the typical, you know, eight to five right. that I might be working unless it's like gossip about Yellowstone or something that we had been talking about and, previously. And that's the thing is there are gray areas. So yeah. I'm not telling you if you get close with your supervisors, that doesn't mean you can't text them at 8 p.m. something fun. But just know the difference between, hey, is this appropriate for this time? Should I be texting them about this right now? Or do I need to just like check myself and do a brain dump on a piece of paper before texting my boss? It even comes down to preferences too and knowing that person. So if I, you know, if one of the students I have that work with me, if they were not gonna be able to make it to work, I would prefer that they would send me an email so that I see it in the morning instead of texting me at 9 p.m. to tell me that they're not going to Yeah, come. because then now we have to think about it. It becomes our job. Right. Now somebody has mentioned work and now I'm thinking about it and everything I have to do tomorrow. And right. like, oh, shoot, right. I'm going to have to make up for, you know, I thought this person was going to I agree with done. the email. And also letting people know with enough time is also a way to respect professionalism. So for letters of recommendation, if you want somebody to help you interview prep, mm-hmm. if you want to make an appointment with somebody, you have to make sure that you are having enough time for them to make room in their schedules. Uh, and so if you're not going to be able to make it to work and you have no one for more than a day and you don't tell your supervisor until an hour before, that to me is a little bit disrespectful when it comes to professionalism. Well, Rachel, you're also talking about what we end up finding out later. So what, that's what I'm hearing. And and VetMed is so small. Everybody knows everybody. And so another piece of professionalism is what you're telling other people and how that could get back to your employer or colleagues. So for example, if you're telling everybody, if you tell your supervisor, hey, I can't come in tomorrow, I'm sick, but all of your friends know you were out drinking the night before, most of the time we find those things out. So keep those things in mind about what's too much information, how to be honest, but also like following through on commitments and how it looks from the, what the perception is going to be. Can you talk about that? I would say, you know, if it's a one-off situation and sometimes, you know, somebody has to cancel like a work shift, you know, pretty close to when they were supposed to start working, you know, that's a lot different than if it's on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. I am so glad that you mentioned, you know, how we typically find things out, you know, pros and cons to having technology and social media Mm. and computers in our hands. But I mean, I can even like see on Venmo if I'm friends with somebody. Oh my God, Rachel, you know, what Venmo is the best way to find out what people are doing. Right. So Venmo, you know, social media, if your stuff is public, um, even if you're preparing for interviews or want to apply to vet school in the future, I don't like to tell people that, oh, you have to lock everything down and not tell people what you are because it's important that people have an idea of who you are as a person and what the representation that you put out for yourself into the world and as long as there's not anything that's really maybe controversial or really strong political opinions or things that, you know, might not be for everyone, mm-hmm. as long as those things are not on your social media and your social media is public, then I would say that's fine. If there's pictures of you underage drinking in undergrad, if there's pictures of you doing, you know, maybe questionable things in general, I I would probably get rid of those because, 
we can see everything. And there have been times I have just stumbled upon something when I was scrolling through my phone that I was like, huh, wait a minute. Didn't this person cancel their appointment with me because they said that they had something to do? And now I see this picture of them like, and now you know, you've got that bad taste else. in your mouth. I, yeah. I'm glad we got into social media because social media is a huge part of professional demeanor. And the image and the brand that you're putting out there does affect how professionals think about you. Right. And before I forget, I do want to say this goes both ways. So if you're in a situation where you are an employee and your employer is maybe texting you at all hours of the night or emailing you at all hours of the night and it is it doesn't feel professional for you and healthy for you, you have to feel comfortable having those conversations. If you're in a situation where you're an employee and you're seeing your employer out on social media and you're like, uh-oh, like this doesn't feel quite right, I am not saying go approach that employer about it, but it helps you know the kind of presence that you want to have. So I completely agree with Rachel that it is hard. I do in general tell people to keep things on private just because folks will use that against you, but I don't want you to have to do that. So if you want to have it on public, just be very honestly critical of what you're putting out there. I have seen, I have turned folks down for opportunities either for internships or as student ambassadors because their social media to me was too questionable for them to then go out and represent the college. Me too. Same thing. Not, sounds, not even in this role, but in other roles it too. It sounds so harsh, but it it does make a difference. And I think for, for vet med, folks are so passionate that if you give a tour to a, a high school student and then that high school student remembers your name, they're going to go look you up. And I need you to have like your best face forward on your social media. Agreed. There are so many opportunities. You can do so much with your DVM that having a careers professional like Rachel at your institution is so important to help you pick the right job later to make sure you're happy. So Rachel, talk to me about the kinds of conversations you're having with students, maybe about like the culture and the boundaries and how they're thinking about approaching a position when we're taking the black and white things away like salary and location and production and you know what kinds of animals they're going to see what is professional how does professional demeanor and expectations and boundaries play into the kinds of conversations you end up having with DVMs a lot of the things i talk about with them are okay what are your professional values and that can be i want X amount of days per work week. I want to have a place that values wellness, work-life balance. I want a place that has strong mentorship. I want to be able to ask for help and not feel like I'm burdening somebody else. I want to make sure I'm getting good surgical experience. I want to be able to do continuing education. Those are professional values. When it comes to your personal values, and a lot of times the students that I'm working with, even though they're fourth years, they're about to graduate, they might not know what they want to do. They might not know you know, I would go move anywhere. So it's really hard for me to figure out how to strategize this job search. And I ask about their professional values. And for some people, this is like a whole a whole new thought process. So when it comes to professional values, you know, what's so important to you? Do you really want to live close to family? Do you want to live somewhere new? Do you want to live somewhere that is, you know, smaller, but maybe has everything that you need? Do you want to live in a place where you know, you're within walking distance to a yoga studio. The hospital that you're at is going to have all the technology that you want. In the future, you might want to have a family. You might want to get married. Are there options for you, you know, for childcare? Is there parental leave the place that you're going to be signing? Um, are there things that you enjoy doing in your free time available in the city state that you're choosing to sign a contract in? And for students that I just talked to a student actually yesterday 
And the student was just, you know, a lot of self-doubt about whether or not they should move back to close to where they're from and stay in Florida or take this opportunity to move to a whole different state. And they seemed really conflicted about this. And so I asked the student, I said, have you thought about, you know, we've, it seems like the offers that you have all check your professional values. Let's unpack this self-doubt so that you can feel more confident in the decision that you're making. So if we're looking at your personal values, what do you enjoy doing? What is important to you? Do you want to live close to family? You don't care. Do you, and you know, what do you do in your free time? And I said to the student, I said, I really feel like everything that you just told me aligns with the place that you're considering. And you should have confidence in yourself that I'm making the best decision possible for me because I've looked at my personal values and my career values. And sometimes those things overlap. Mm -hmm. Takes a lot of introspection, self-awareness, observation, time, spending time in the profession, having conversations with professionals like Rachel, like veterinarians, figuring out who you are and what you want and what you will and won't stand for. I think one thing that folks think about with professionalism is they think it's all ties and high heels and it has to be super buttoned up. And I've had this conversation with a lot of vet students. We talk about it in the podcast. I think it's season five, episode two with Antonio, where he was afraid that who he was wasn't going to be professional because he is a more casual person. He's very friendly, very people oriented and focused. And he had, I think, a bit of of fear that maybe he would never be seen as a professional. And we talked about how He's actually going to be the perfect veterinarian for folks who are looking for that. So you will be the perfect veterinarian for your clients. You just have to figure out who they are and who you are. Yeah. Rachel, let's talk about some resources that we can provide for these folks for, you know, today, a month from now, and a year from now. What's something they could be doing today to think about their professional demeanor and their professionalism? So for something that you could do today, maybe some self-reflection on what professionalism looks like to you, and then think about the various layers of professionalism. We have dress, we have communication, we have the work culture and team dynamic. We have, you know, maybe whether or not every single rule in the employee handbook is followed or if there's some deviations to that. And, you know, being mindful of, you know, what professional settings that you are a part of. So maybe you are involved in, you know, community events. Professionalism there is going to look a lot different. The representation that you put out, then maybe what it will look like at a job. And I even think it, in the pre-vet context, for something that you can do today, if you've applied to universities or you're going to be applying to universities in the future for vet school, you know, take a look at their pictures, take a look at their social media. What does the professionalism look like in those places? What do the students look like? Because professionalism at each individual accredited program could be different. And then if you have the opportunity to have you know more than one offer of admissions, try to do some digging about which one is going to most closely match your personal idea of what professionalism means mm-hmm. to you. What are they doing a month from now? A month from now, I would say there are a ton of resources that exist. There are podcasts, news articles, YouTube channels, social media accounts. There are even books about professionalism that you can read and understand, you know, maybe a bit more about professional communication, cross-cultural communication, even the way that you interact with people. So those interpersonal communication, I mean, interpersonal skills, all of those things are, you know, there's, there's a wealth of information that exists in this digital age that you can learn about. So I would say shoot to listen to one or two podcasts and then read an article or a book and then 
after you do that, I would compare it to what you did on day one today about what professionalism means to you and, you know, check off the buckets where, all right, so this kind of was talking about what I'm already doing. Or if you're learning about things that, oh man, I'm not doing that. Maybe I should start doing that. Then do some, you know, additional self-reflection on what you can do to enhance your professionalism. And a year from now, what do we hope they've done? I think it's really important for you know, taking a year and even thinking about Antonio and his concerns, go to settings where you are going to have the opportunity to interact with professionalisms. I mean, professionals and practice that professional communication, because the more you do it, the less anxiety or, you know, nerves that you might have when you have to go and do it or do an interview or, you know, go on clinical rotations. The more experience you have under your belt typically makes you feel more confident. You know, you start off with this growth mindset. You might not know how to do it. And if you can go to like a pre-vet symposium or go to a career fair at your current university, some places even have career fairs for community members. Those are great ways to just go and practice that professional communication. Um, I like to equate, and I know it makes people laugh, searching for jobs, kind of like dating, except worse, because if you hate it, you can't just break up with them. Like you have signed a contract <laughs> and you might have to be there for a designated amount of time. And that can be the same thing for places you're choosing to work that enhance your resume as you're getting into vet school. And that's the same thing. If you started a vet school and you don't love it, you're probably stuck there for four years. And so it's really important to make sure that your values your professionalism, um, everything that you're looking for and hoping for align with that program mm -hmm. because you're going to have to exist within the confinements of whatever is expected within that program or place of employment until you can leave. Right. And so it's kind of like dating because you want to make sure it's the best fit for you and the best fit for the other party. And, you know, practice makes perfect. So the first option, you know, might not be the best fit for you, but that's why it's important to become more comfortable in these spaces. And there are a lot of resources that exist for students that are either undergrads or they're in that period where they've already graduated, they're applying to vet school, and they're maybe working or volunteering. And so those are some things to keep in mind. I think when thinking about professionalism in a relationship context, a big word can also be compromise. You might start off that on today reflecting on professionalism and a month from now after reading books and articles and have a lot of values and goals and thought of boundaries, but then you might get into a situation where you can compromise a little bit. So don't be afraid if it still works for you. That if So for example, for me, one of my strong work values is uh, commute. I want to work very close to my job. I work five minutes within uh, vet med. But if I found some superstar job that I was obsessed with and my commute became 30 minutes, I could maybe compromise on that. So be willing to compromise and evaluate what you, again, will and won't stand for. Rachel, we always ask our guests to give big life advice to the pre-vets. This can be about professionalism or it could just be personal advice that has really helped you in your journey. So thinking about these students, you know who they are. You know they want to get to that DVM level that we interact with them every single day. What advice do they need to hear from you? Man, I feel like I have so many. Uh, the students that work for me, sometimes because they work in my office, I'll be like, this is a life lesson. Um, and I had one this week that was really funny. I wish I could remember what it was. But um, some life advice. I'm going to go in the context of careers because that's you know what I'm passionate about is have a master resume. So have everything you've ever done on one giant document and have as many bullets as you want. Maybe if you're currently working or volunteering, continue to add bullets. I always tell myself that I'm going to forget what I've done, and I typically do. And so it's just easier if I write down key accomplishments, things I've done that are extra, um, or what I've even done on a regular basis in the semester because it flies by. 
in one centralized place. And then in the future, you already have this document built. You can have a one-page resume probably at the undergraduate level, maybe two-page, maybe, maybe, probably one. Um, but then you can pull what you want from your master resume and craft this one-page document that's tailored to what you're applying to. If you are applying to things blindly, I would say it's a better way to use that master resume, tailor your bullets to what you're applying for, and then you have this historical document of everything you've done. And then maybe like a life advice, I just kind of feel like everybody should carry a snack with them. Like <laughs> <laughs> That's damn good advice. You know, people get hangry, um, and sometimes you're in situations where, where you, there is no food, but like maybe just like, carry a snack, carry like, a packet of Belvita crackers. Like you never you know. A snack. I did, I ate some snacks on the yeah. way over so that I would be energized and not hangry. Um, I mean, it's, I will say that I've really learned this now in my mid-30s. Most of my moods get stabilized when I have a snack. Like Same. our blood sugar's messed up, y'all, so have a snack, yeah. chill out. Drink enough water. Rachel, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. <laughs> thanks for having me. I was a little nervous, but this was great. It's a fun conversation, and I think uh, hopefully it helps y'all feel a little bit more excited about professionalism and less daunted by the idea of, okay, I have to have, put on a blazer. Like, no, unbutton that blazer. Like, right. Let your flag fly, yeah. but at the right location. I'm Alex Avellino, and we'll talk to you soon. You're not going to have a job that you love 100% of the duties. I need to really start I, living by that. I'm not doing mm-hmm. that. I'm, I keep thinking everything should be 100% amazing. It's it's just not going to happen. Not gonna Nothing happen. in life is 100% amazing. No. And Except for our NYX lingerie XXL lipstick. That is true. Just we want to recommend that. Although maybe like maybe compromise though, because sometimes I like, wish they have like an in-between color That's for fair. some of the colors. <laughs> <laughs>